I'm really speaking about all of humanity, you know, without exception of anybody, you know. And I, I know that um, a lot of the content in the songs is very heavy, you know, but uh, see, fantasy is what people want, but reality is what they need. And I've just retired from the fantasy part because I realized that.
the verses turn the wrongness to right. The uncivilized have an envious eye, and they plotted your demise based on treachery and lies. You lost your culture and the jewels that you came with. They learned your alchemy and they used it to make a name with. Became the false gods while the real ones suffered. The Jews became dull and over time they lost their lesser. You forgot the mission and got tricked into submission. Now the elders sent me here to resurrect the beats and rhythm. This is your movement and it can never be stopped. It's the spirit of our people given the name of hip hop. joyful exaltations and greetings to those who liberate themselves. Welcome to Woman Wednesday. I'm your host, Mariama Tanay. Blessings, greetings, and love to all within the listening ear. Tonight's theme is the consequential existential ego. Because the ego exists as reality and it has consequences. And it's a tool, understand, that we should rule. We're going to start off in the praise up as the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Amen. So we're going to start off in Romans 12. Romans 12. And... 12 2, to be exact, and forward. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing 
of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according to God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophecy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave, cleave to that which is good, be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patience in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, cute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind, one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low state. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably, all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Come, evil with good. In Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always with grace. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. And John 5.30, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father, which hath sent me. And Philippians 
2, 1 to 10. There be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife, or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Understand and understand the consequential existential ego. I'm going to work through and look through and search through and find out the dynamics of this concept and how to make it a tool that's useful in Yeshua's name. We're going to take a music moment. Blessings and grace.
because the bottom line is is that when you change the definition of who you are, yeah. then your body chemistry changes and the cells will change. The memory will be canceled out depending upon the definition of who you say you are. So that is why in the Immortal Chat uh, Club, these are people who have agreed that they are living manifestations of God, okay? We know for a fact that, you know, the definition of human means that these are individuals who see themselves as having frailties, who are admitting that they are not responsible for the experiences that they have in totality and are really kind of, uh, kind of like learning their way through life. A person who recognizes that they are pure consciousness, that's, and we all are, that we are actually made in the likeness and the image of God, and yeah. that is anything that you see. A bee is in the image of God, a tree, a leaf, and also you. Then you are willing to say that because I am part of this supreme consciousness, I accept that in all areas of my life, and I use that awareness of myself to be able to create the quality of life that I need. So you have to understand that these immortal genes that we have require a high frequency, a specific chemistry to be activated. And the more you think about yourself, the better you think about yourself, the loftier definition you have about yourself, that is a quality of chemistry that now can begin to open up and activate the immortal genes. People who wow. basically just feel that you're just getting along in life, we're just trying to make it, things are so hard, I'm such a victim, I'm so afraid, I'm da-da-da-da-da. That quality of chemistry will never be able to activate the immortal genes because part of the law on this planet is really true that the best survive. But best is what? Determined by you, not by anybody outside of you, not by any necessarily accomplishments you've made, but right. by you. And when you say that you're the best and you think of yourself as the best in all things, that chemistry then will activate the immortal genes. Well, I mean, how do we know that? Well, I mean, can you imagine that a turtle, a loggerhead turtle whose brain is about the size of a tablespoon, can live 350 years and blink its eye at you and not have a question about that? Apparently they because know something. Exactly. <laughs> they know that that is natural for them and that they are obviously undaunted by the unknown. They're not fearful animals. So to be wow. able to come out of an egg and immediately jump into an ocean, do you know how vast the ocean is? And yeah, to be so able no to fear. navigate and to navigate that, for hundreds of years is incredible. Here we are as humans. We've got to have houses and cars and clothes and all these things to think that we're okay. This is a person who goes into, this is an entity that goes into a space every day. It's constantly changing. It has all kind of animals in it and everything that we don't know and masters that for 300 years. Wow. And they only have a tablespoon full of brains. Now, here you have a head full of brain, okay, but yet still you have reluctances to be able to go outside your door. There's a problem here, and no, nature is not going to support that kind of perception. Oh, my goodness. Blessings and grace. 
That was Dr. Joel Polkram on activating the immortal gene and thinking highly of oneself. So let us overstand the consequential existential ego in part one. And so consequential, the nature of a secondary result, indirect, right? Having significant consequences, self-important. Consequential is also self-important. And existential, relating to affirming existence, affirming your own existence, grounded in existence, or the experience of existence, have being in time and space. So that's an existentialist viewpoint, understand? And then ego, ego, your self-esteem, you contrasted with another self or the world the mental perception of their contrast, the one of three divisions of the psyche in psychoanalytic theory that serves as the organized conscious mediator between the person and the reality, especially by functioning both in the perception of and the adaptation to reality. So how we adapt and how we perceive it, right? And so the element of a functioning ego to have a degree of insight, right? And that's the key to mental health, and that's the awareness of one's defenses, motives, and conflicts. The awareness of your defenses, your motives, and conflicts. Individuals with high levels of insight know how they feel, what makes them tick, when and why they have conflicts, and what they need to feel fulfilled. Individuals with poor insight engage in more primitive psychological defenses like denial, or they're either clueless about what they or they try to convince themselves of something that they're not. They're clueless about who they are, and trying to convince themselves of the narrative that works for them, understand? And then you have to have a degree of agency and self and self-directedness. Now, agentic individuals see themselves as able to control key aspects of their environment and guide their behavior with a purpose. They are able to engage in self-directed behavior effectively guiding their own actions toward goals across time, can manage impulses, and are resilient in the face of setbacks. In contrast, logenic people have the external locus of control, experience life as happening to them rather than the reverse. They have no direction and often feel dependent on the whims of fate or the environment in terms of what happens to them. They are also impulsive, responding to the needs of the moment rather than inhibiting their immediate desires for longer-term goals. And, and also the degree of self-esteem, acceptance, and compassion. Closely related to agency is the theme of esteem, 
to the extent to which an individual respects and values themselves. You have to respect and value everything that you are. Although self-esteem became an overblown construct, right, during the 80s and the 90s, we bred a bunch of narcissists in the 2000s with everyone taking selfies. You know, it's okay to feel good about oneself and being able to also accept and work on your faults or limitations and having basic compassionate feelings towards oneself as a complicated being is extremely important. In contrast to self-discipline, although many with low self-esteem have poor self-directedness, it's also possible that an individual might exhibit much self-directedness but may also be extremely self-critical. You know, having that internal conversation, putting yourself down, and everyone else thinks everything that you're doing is great, and you can't enjoy that because you're so busy criticizing yourself. And lacking in acceptance and compassion is why those two are conceptually separated. And also to have the degree of empathy with others, you know, is that our sense of self emerges in close relationship to our sense of others and how they treat us. Because ourselves exist within interdependent networks of people. Because we initially understand ourselves through the lens of mirrored others. And because our identity is very much about narrating and legitimizing our actions to others. A key aspect of ego functioning is the capacity to understand others in a complex manner. Whereas insight refers to the capacity to understand oneself. Empathy refers to the capacity to understand others. So central is disability. It's central. And also the degree of integration and purpose and thematic coherence, right? You have to have a theme for the moment, right, for your life. <laughs> what is the most high using you for? What is the theme of you? What, and, and, and then that theme becomes your legacy, Overstand. It's how you live it and how you show it. Painted by you, displayed by you, created by you, produced by you, directed by you, written by you. And how you integrate that into the greater space around you. You know, we all have different parts, alternating self-states, and various social roles that we fill. The question here is the extent to which the ego has a meta-narrative position that links the parts together into a coherent story, right? Putting all the pieces together so that that life shows the purpose, the theme. And the degree of philosophical and moral development you have to, you have to develop philosophically. If you're not changing, you're not growing. Stay the same and expect to be great. And you should expect to be great because the glory and greatness of the Most High resides within you. 
And so to develop a complicated narrative of the self, one that has purpose and coherence, one must place that in the context of a worldview. As such, to assess ego functioning, one must assess the extent to which an individual has developed a philosophical point of view. Now, the degree of, of, of sophistication of that perspective to which it provides the individual with the sense of direction toward what is good and virtuous or not is a crucial component, a crucial component of ego functioning. So ego functioning or identity overstand, they go hand in hand, is one of the most important elements to consider in understanding your personality and the ways in which you operate in the world. Right? So what kind of picture are you painting? What kind of picture? What colors are in it, right? <laughs> what stands out? You got theme music? And so what is the function of the ego in relationship to the self? The function. So the goal can only be one thing, becoming your real self. Becoming your real self. And there are many confusing theories about the function of the ego. According to some, the ego is essentially negative and undesirable, and the spiritual goal is to get rid of it. Other theories, you know, um, psychoanalytic ways, say that the ego is important. And the scientific view is that there is no ego and there can be no mental health. So these are two, these are a, a whole bunch of different opposing views. So which one is correct? Which one's correct? The correction is that the ego focuses on your purpose and wielding that purpose into full manifestation in the real world. You know, it's the essence of the real self. Your inner self is an integral part of nature, bound to the laws of nature. Therefore, to distrust this innermost self is unreasonable. It's unreasonable. For nature, which is bound and created by the Most High, can be wholly trusted. If nature seems like an enemy, it's only because you do not understand its laws. The inner self or the real self is nature. It is life. It is creation. It is more accurate to define the real self this way, to say it's a part of nature, nature of the Most High. Whenever you function from your real self and you are in your truth, you are joyful. The most creative and constructive contributions come to life from your inner self. Everything that is great and generous, everything that is life-expanding and beautiful and wise comes from the inner or real self. This cannot be emphasized enough, even in your meditations. Try to understand this truth, not only with your mind, but with your feelings. Your feelings. And so what then is the function of the ego? 
so by this word, the outer level of personality, the outer level of personality, the ego level is more accessible to you and you are more acutely and more directly aware of it. The ego is the part that thinks, acts, discriminates, and decides. The person whose ego is not sufficiently grown, whose ego is weak, is incapable of mastering or coping with life. And the person whose ego is overgrown and overemphasized cannot come to the real self. In other words, both extremes of the ego's weaknesses and its inflation must hinder. It just hinders the reaching of the real self. So your problems and conflicts always result from either being too big in ego or too small in ego. You know, I mean, you can't let yourself be a doormat, right? And you only got two cheeks. <laughs> At some point, that ego got to step up and make your back stand straight and understand that you're the most high creation. And nothing less than this will do for you. Right? Protocol, modes of action and reaction. You know? And so, although um, most often imbalance exists, underdeveloped in one area of your personality and overdeveloped in another, in this way, nature tries to reestablish balance. The overdevelopment may be the most high attempt to straighten out the disturbance resulting from too weak an ego. Only when the ego is sufficiently developed can it be adequately dispensed with. But the ego underdeveloped, your efforts to compensate create a weakness and invasion that can produce only more weakness. As long as the ego is not strong enough, you lack the faculties characteristic of your outer self, which are to think, discriminate, decide, and act appropriately in any situation you encounter in the outer world. Anyone who strives to reach the real self by rejecting the development of a healthy ego does so out of poverty. Such people do not yet own their outer self, maybe due to laziness, since ego development is very difficult. I mean, it's not easy. Just because it is, it's, it's hard doesn't mean it's not necessary, like breathing and reading, right, and considering. It delays reaching the goal if you don't deal with it. Only when you are fully possessed of your outer self, your ego, can you dispense with it and reach your real self. This is the law. It's a logical law. For then you act out of strength and abundance, not out of weakness, need, and poverty. Only when the ego is healthy and strong can you know that it's not the final answer, the final realm of being. Only when you possess a strong and healthy ego that is not overgrown and overemphasized can you use this ego to transcend itself and reach a further state of consciousness. 
And you'll work on this path. You learn through your meditation, for instance, to use all the faculties of your ego to reach beyond it. What you absorb from outside must first pass your ego faculties. In practical terms, you first teach out with your ego faculties and use them to grasp truths that you later experience on a deeper level of consciousness. There are many human beings who do not realize that there is anything beyond the ego. Their final goal is to cultivate a strong ego, whether they whether or not they think about it in these kind of terms. This striving may lead them to the distortion of an overdeveloped ego, and that's a dead-end street. The goal is misstated because it is much too limited in scope and possibilities. So instead of transcending the stage of the powerful egos, one energies are used to further aggrandize it. The law that you have to reach a certain state and fully be there before you can abandon it for a higher state is extremely important to understand. You have to step into each level of your development and stand there and learn from it and be it and marinate it and absorb where you are right now in contrast to where you've been and where you're headed. The importance of this law has not been made clear enough to to all of humanity. In spite of the discovery of many spiritual and psychological truths. This is one of the great important laws for you to know and deeply comprehend. Without an ego, these strivings are unrealistic, even destructive. Everyone that's on the path has to come to terms and has to accept your limitations as a human being before you can realize that you have unlimited fount of power at your disposal. You have to accept your own imperfections as well as this life's imperfections before you can experience that absolute perfection that you must ultimately realize is your destiny. But you can comprehend this only after you have shed the childish distortion of this knowledge that it's flawed because of a lack of ego. Let go of self-aggrandizement and make do with what you have where you are and realize pleasure in that. You know, for dealing with this dimension, the ego faculties are necessary. Only when your ego deals adequately with the realm in in which your personality and your body now live can you deeply comprehend your real faculties, your real possibilities, and your real potential. You know, and then that's when the doors open. And this very same law determines how working from abundance produces abundance. But working from poverty and, and need, just all it does is just produce more poverty and need. 
the healthy, strong ego knows reality without being upset that fulfillment may not yet be possible because of the obstructions to the real self. Ego considers itself annihilated when its wishes for omnipotence just remain unfulfilled. Its wish is negative. You have to stand in where you are and build within that space. And so the purpose, ego, is for you to use it and not let it use you. It's said that that the life is the divine playing with itself. And since we are one with the divine, life is soul's opportunity to experience tremendous clarity and growth by playing with energy. Playing in this way is our inner purpose, our spiritual work. While we play, our work is to maintain the soul's position as an observer of life and its form. Each life event we observe serves as a stepping stone toward a deeper spiritual connection. Your inner purpose won't be a physical destination, a title, or even a monetary net worth, but only ever a feeling, even a legacy that's going to leave you the common denominator is a feeling. Work done according to this inner purpose feels good. It feels like love, peace. It feels like fulfillment. Michael A. Singer, the author of The Untethered Soul, wrote, one should view their spiritual work as learning to live without stress, problems, fear, or melodrama. The path of using life to evolve spiritually is truly the highest path. If you're neither pushing life away or pulling it towards you, then you are not creating any resistance. You're simply present. Simply present and use it. Soul sourced from spirit energy sits at the center of our life experience as the conscious receiver of all that is. It is our inner witness watching life unfold. It is present. It is awareness. Awareness is aware while everything in the universe parades before it. Right? So your soul is aware. And you have to develop that, that awareness so that you can use the tool of the ego. The outer purpose of the ego is to progress or advance in human endeavors. Ego's ultimate objective is to determine means by which the body can serve the soul. The ego reinterprets the inner purpose as a human accomplishment and sets the respective intention for this lifetime. Not surprisingly, ego also aims to feel good in the process, but ego carries karmic baggage and continues to be manipulated by objects, and customs of this world. Its perspectives has been shaped, pervaded, and morphed 
through many incarnations and has stored up karmic energy along the way. In taking on the mission to serve the soul, which belongs to the Most High, which is a reflection and embedded within the Most High, it justified the means as necessary and bends the outer purpose of its will. The means are self-centered and self-interested as the ego's sole focus is to progress in its infinite wisdom in this finite lifetime. So that will take on the appearance sometimes of selfishness and entitlement if taken too far and there's no balance. Ego is a tool to move through this human experience. As with any tool, it needs the operator, and the operator doesn't become the tool or become controlled by it. Yet the ego also gets entranced in itself and can pull the soul into a stupor (laughs) and unwittingly incite a coup, so to speak. We lose our soul and start to believe that we are the ego hypnotized by its constant chatter, ego will certainly take over our life experience. What it focuses on becomes what the soul relates to most as per the law of attraction. Or you can allow ego to go about its path without being pulled in, staying broadly observant in the knowledge of who you are. Soul is it now or ever pitted against ego? It is only observer and form, subject and object, operator and tool. As long as we are in this body, we will have an ego attached. If we know there's no getting rid of it, what choice do we have other than to accept it in partnership? With that acceptance, we can be free of the burden of the trying to, you know, kill our ego, as some might suggest. It has a place, but it has to have balance. And it's utilized through the will of the Most High. Consciousness living cordially with unconsciousness. Despite what ego does around you, remain the expansive, exploratory, observant you. You know, many of you will find that your life purpose is to transform from being dependent on ego to simply its counterpart. And many of you will realize that it's a tool and grab it and use it to manifest at will. And so the difference between the soul and the ego, the ego is the image you have of yourself your social mask, the face you put on for the world, your titles, your roles, girlfriend, daughter, brother, sister, friend, colleague. You can learn to spot your ego when your ego is in charge. You're often caught in circling thoughts, thinking about the same things over and over. You're often consumed by your emotions, especially hurt, disappointment, and anger. Your inner dialogue is heavily focused on anxieties, fears, doubts, self-criticism, 
I'm not beautiful. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I'm bad at this. My life is meaningless. Your worth is dependent on external things, like a great job, a beautiful wardrobe, a huge circle of friends. If it's dependent, if your self-worth is dependent on that, your ego's in charge. You really need validation from other people. You're easily bruised when things don't go your way. People don't act the way in which you expect them to. People let you down or people say or do things that offend you. And that breaks you up and stops your moment and your momentum. Your ego's in charge. Your ego is something you have to live with, but you don't have to listen to it or believe what it has to say. Try not to take it too seriously. It's not the real you. Your soul is your spirit, your essence, your true self who you really are deep down below all the labels, roles, expectations, and social mass. Something that that doesn't change, really. The essence of it. You are born you, and you will forever be you. Inherently worthwhile. You are divine energy from the Most High. Your very existence in this world is what makes you beautiful. So be you till valuable and amazing. You can learn to spot your soul when your soul is in charge. You get a gut feeling about things and intuition and inner voice which guides you. You realize you love and accept yourself deeply and completely. You have burning desires and goals, but your sense of self-worth and happiness is not dependent upon them. You are forgiving of others, and you are more easily able to accept people as they are, faults and all. Your preferences, desires, and ideals bubble up from within you, not from external influences like society and the expectations of others, being in the flow of losing yourself in something you love, like yoga, running, walking, painting, writing, cooking, loving. You often feel an indescribable connection with the entire universe, especially when you experience a sunrise or a starry night sky and and an old tree or a quote that resonates with you. Everything feels effortless. When you're leading and your soul is in charge, the Most High is gently pushing you forward. All the right people and places and circumstances unfold in perfect timing around you. You feel free, fearless, and empowered to go after your dreams and build a beautiful life. When the soul's in charge, you understand your purpose in life is to follow, is to follow what the Most High put as your path, your heart song, your own path, and to give your unique gifts to the world. Your soul is internal and always present. 
even if you don't always feel it or pay attention to it. You can build a better relationship with your soul through stillness, meditation, spending time in nature, soul or journal writing, being open-hearted and authentic, and doing more things that you love. Learn to listen to your soul when it speaks to you. Trust in it and act on the advice it gives you. Your soul is a source of unconditional love, courage and strength, wisdom, happiness and joy. It can't be harmed by other people's opinions, external circumstances. It can't be harmed by anything. You know? Because it's the most high. It's the peace of the most high. Build a stronger connection with your soul. The soul establish the ego. Let the ego be tethered to it as opposed to the other way around. You know, and for the ones that, you know, have been experiencing somewhat of an existential crisis, so to speak, as these times have been unfolding. There's so many wild things happening in the world today. It's like we're watching a movie and being a part of it, and we can't press pause or stop or eject. It's just a lot of madness. And in doing so at the same time, there's a great awakening happening and an influx of information. So when we are on the verge of uniting with the infinite wavelength of, in, of eternal vibration, our old frequency can sometimes go through a crisis of stasis. And it buckles and bends trying to adjust life and tune into the cosmic orchestra. We tend to doubt everything we've known to be true or find out a lot of what we've known to be true to be untrue. You know, and in the, some cases, people fall into an existential crisis. But if you're going to be able to make it through that dark time and shed with which has weighed you down. Once you shed it, you'll be able to open up once again and even wider than before. And this can happen many times on our spiritual journeys. There's not just one. There's, there's, there's levels and degrees. <laughs> and each time we tend to gain new levels of wisdom. And so here are some times that you may be experiencing what they call as a dark night of the soul, where the soul has awoken and realize that the ego has been leading it. You know, your sense of reality or worldview has been shattered, and you come to understand the illusory aspects of the ego and are in the process of letting attachment go, experiencing a reorganization, a re-identification, and a reinterpretation of the boundaries between self and world. Only when you're alone that you realize that you're never alone. You feel alone and isolated in the world at times, but you find that it's actually in your alone time that things become clearer and more connected. You realize the utmost importance of solitude and meditation. You're coming to find that being alone and silent is a very important part of individuating 
the ego and actualizing soul. Individuating the ego and actualizing the soul. We are each microcosms within a micro, within a macrocosm. Tiny stars within a greater universe. Drops of water in a mighty cosmic ocean. And this is the great lesson of loneliness. That we can no more separate the micro from the macro than we can the human from the natural. Both are needed to put the whole into holistic. Understand. You have a newfound appreciation of your mortality. You've become exceedingly introspective. The weight of time is like a giant sitting on your shoulders, but you are beginning to learn how to reverse that dynamic, becoming someone who has the ability to stand on the shoulders of giants instead. You appreciate more the passing of time, the reminiscence of time's past, the contemplative present, and the forbearance of things future. It's all a giant telescope of projection of your third eye focused on the intrinsic value of mortality and how it brings meaning in ways simply cannot. Appreciate the here and now and stand in it. Breathe in it and make it wide. Join in it and explore in it. And then the purpose of your life has taken on new meaning. You realize that the meaning of life is whatever you want your life to mean. What's your thing? But this is a huge responsibility, tantamount to an existential crisis. You are now suddenly duty-bound to bring meaning to an otherwise meaningless universe. It's up to you and you alone to be the hero of your own story because, darling, everyone else is busy saving themselves. Okay? The path to your own meaning is daunting, but it is a path that only you can walk. And you're more aware of the importance of your freedom. You understand that freedom is paramount, but willing yourself free is not easy. Freedom is something you do, not something you are. It is not given. It takes effort, courage, and determination, usually in the face of those who would force you to live their way. You see how the inert, civilized human has escaped the anguish of freedom only to fall into a state of preoccupation and paranoia. You see how the inert lifestyle can lead to tyranny, extremism. You see how acting courageous in the face of that inertia is a powerful way to thwart the would-be tyrant within. That self-critical voice. You have to slay it. If it's not in conjunction with the most high. And you realize the ability coming back together again is real strength. Overstand. Sometimes you have to have a breakdown, a breakthrough. You realize that healthy annihilation is possible and necessary. You're learning to embody the ability to come together and fall apart over and over again. You're discovering that your strength comes comes precisely 
from your ability to experience a dark night of the soul and come out of it with scars blazing like badges of honor. You've been fire tested and verified by vicissitude. Your strength comes from your ability to adapt and overcome to falling apart and coming back together again from wholeness to brokenness and back to a stronger form. A stronger form. And taking that ego out of your back pocket and using it the right way when you need to. The right way. There's a right and a wrong way for everything. Right? And so we just have to take the time to figure out these laws and how to use them appropriately. And so and so um on the next podcast on part 2, I'm going to delve into the into the ancient wisdom what what's been said about the purpose of the ego and mastering the ego. Right? And delving into the kabayan and how rhythm Obviously, and rhythm, how that takes place in the ego. We have to overstand and understand as we stand and outerstand the inner man. And hopefully one know now that it's a tool and to not let the ego rule you and stand in the soul. Stand in the soul. So you can be whole. In Yeshua's name, we're going to take a music moment and come back with the go and gnosis, blessings and grace. Your head to the 
question. I believe that the liberation and salvation of the black nation must be brought about by black people gaining a thorough knowledge of self after our 500 to 6,000 year holocaust where we have lost the holocaust where we have lost over 600 million. And so I believe that that education process must be a process of two steps. Inspiration and information. So I seriously give information, but black people are a people of rhythm and spirit, so I also give inspiration. Pollution will be televised. Pollution will be televised. Pollution will be televised. Pollution will be televised.
And this is the fifth explosion. Explosion rocked Texas overnight at a FedEx facility in Shirts, about 65 miles from Austin. The latest explosion comes one day after two men were injured by the fourth bomb, triggered by a trap wire. Texans are terrified and afraid to leave their homes in the wake of the bombings. The package that exploded at FedEx Monday in Shirts it was bound for an address in Austin. Authorities report one person was injured at FedEx. That person was treated and released from the hospital. It was the fifth explosion in a series of bombings that began in March 2nd in Austin. The fourth blast triggered by a tripwire injured two Caucasian men on Sunday. A media told the excuse me, a man told the media that his relative was injured below the knees by shrapnel from a bomb triggered by a wire he did not see because it was dark outside. The FBI and authorities are asking the bomber to contact them so they can understand his message. Previous narcissistic bombers and serial killers have contacted the authorities or media to gain notoriety for their, for their crimes. Those contacts often lead to their capture. The NAACP called the bombings acts of terrorism, and three members of the Congressional Back Caucus has called for federal officials to classify the bombings as terrorist attacks. The first three package bombings, which were hand-delivered to residents, killed two black people and injured a Hispanic woman. Authorities say of all the bombings are linked and not the activity of the copycat at all. So blessings and grace to those in Austin, Texas, as they are living in a shroud of fear perpetrated by an evil mind. Times we're living in. And a teacher, according to KSAT.com, a teacher accidentally fires gun and injures student during safety lesson. In Seaside City, California, a teacher accidentally discharged a firearm while teaching a public safety class. He was teaching a public safety class, injuring one student at Northern California School on Tuesday, police said. Dennis Alexander, who is Seaside City's mayor, pro tem, and a reserve officer with the San City Police Department, was teaching a lesson at the Seaside High School in Seaside, California, when he pointed his gun into the ceiling and accidentally fired it. A 17-year-old student was injured by a bullet fragment or by debris that fell off the ceiling. The student's injuries appeared superficial and were not life-threatening, the police said. Alexander has been placed on administrative leave from his teaching job, a spokesperson with the Monterey Peninsula Unified School District said. I think a lot of questions on parents' minds are why a teacher would be pointing a loaded firearm at the ceiling in front of students. Superintendent P.K. Diffenbaugh told CNN affiliate KSBW, clearly in this incident, protocols were not followed. It is unclear why the teacher was displaying the firearm. The shooting comes a day before students and teachers across the country participated on a walkout to honor the 17 people killed at Stoneman Douglas High School and called for stricter gun control laws. Miss Mann is a reserve officer with the San City Police, and he's also the pro tem mayor who perpetrated this egregious act of ridiculousity. But they want teachers and safety officials and everyone to have guns in school. And they're unclear why he was even showing it. 
And on usnews.com, more Flint water samples show elevated lead levels. Recent water tests at elementary schools in Flint have found an increase, an increase, even with national media attention. They found an increase in samples showing lead levels above the federal action limit. Recent water tests at elementary schools in elementary schools. Recent water tests at elementary schools in Flint have found an increase in samplings showing lead levels above the federal action limit. The Michigan Department of Environmental Quality determined that 28 samples tested in February were above 15 parts per billion of lead. Of lead. They're trying to mentally incapacitate the children. Why is it increased? The Flint Journal reported that compares to 20 such samples in January. The increase may be due to changes in testing conditions, such as the decision to collect samples before flushing the lines. (laughs) Samples collected before flushing tend to have higher lead levels because the water has been in contact with the pipes longer. The overall results are encouraging because they meet federal guidelines for lead if if treated like samples collected by municipal water systems, Curtis instead. Oh, my goodness. How is that encouraging that it's increased? Over Stan, he's speaking the truth on his part. I'm convinced that these test results prove additional work and investigation is needed to determine the source or sources of lead and what actions must be taken to address and resolve the problem once and for all, Weaver said, who is... That is Flint Mayor Karen Weaver. The Flint Community Schools haven't been using tap water since 2015. State-funded bottled water will likely continue to be supplied until all lead and galvanized service lines have been replaced, Weaver said. State officials are expected to conduct another round of testing this month. The department will make recommendations for how the state can help Flint moving forward. Blessings and strength to those in Flint that have to bathe and 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 you know cook and drink with contaminated water contaminated water and on the nationalgeographic.com they have what they call the race issue and the headline says for decades our coverage was racist to rise above our past we must acknowledge it we asked a preeminent historian to investigate our coverage of people of color in the US and abroad And here's what we found. Okay, it is November 1930, and National Geographic has sent a reporter and a photographer to cover a magnificent occasion. The crowning of Haile Selassie, king of kings of Ethiopia, conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. There are trumpets, incense, priests, spear-wielding warriors. The story runs 14,000 words with 83 images. If a ceremony in honoring 1930 honoring a black man had taken place in America instead of Ethiopia, you can pretty much guarantee there wouldn't have been a a story at all. Even worse, if Haile Selassie had lived in the United States, he would have almost certainly have been denied entry to our lectures in segregated Washington, D.C., and he might have not been allowed to be a National Geographic member, according to Robert M. Poole, who wrote Explorer's House, National Geographic, and the world it made. African-Americans were excluded from membership, at least in Washington, 
through the 1940s. The 10th editor, the 10th editor of the National Geographic since its founding in 1888, this is the first woman to head this. And so she's stating that race is not a biological construct, but a social one that can have devastating effects. So many of the many of the horrors of the past few centuries can be traced to the idea that one race is inferior to the other, she writes. Racial distinctions continue to shape our politics, our neighborhoods, and our sense of self. And how we present race matters. I hear from the readers that National Geographic provided their first look at the world. Our explorers, scientists, photographers, and writers have taken place and taken into places that they never imagined. It's, just, it's a tradition that still drives our coverage and of which we are rightly proud, and it means we have a duty in every story to present accurate and authentic depictions, a duty heightened when we fought, fraught issues such as race. So National Geographic is trying to right its wrongs by having this race issue and discussing the ways in which it failed African-American community in particular and the black community as a whole in the diaspora, in its coverage. And so in conclusion, it says that April 4th marks the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's a worthy moment to step back and take stock of who we are as a race and on race. It's also a conversation that is changing in real time. In two years from the first time in U.S. history, less than half the children in the nation Less than half the children of the nation will be white. So let's talk about what's working then when it comes to race. So now it's time to talk about what's working when it comes to race. Because less than half the children in the nation will be white. Let's examine what we continue to segregate along racial lines. And how we can build inclusive communities. Let's confront today's shameful use of racism as a political strategy and prove we are better than this. This is from the new editor, Susan Goldberg, editor-in-chief of the National Geographic. So overstand the national conversation and the new ways in which race will be displayed and the perspective has changed. And the viewpoint and the vantage point has changed and shifted globally. On some somewhat positive news, Andrew Harris, the man that had been beaten in Charlottesville, was found not guilty of assaulting white supremacists. So our prayers worked for him. The black man brutally beaten in last year's white supremacists Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville and who was later charged with assaulting the white nationalists who beat him up was acquitted on Friday. DeAndre Harris, who was age 20, a former special education instructional assistant, was found not guilty by Charlottesville General District Court Judge Robert Downer Jr. Blessings. On a misdemeanor charge of assault and battery against Howell Cruz, a North Carolina attorney. A North Carolina attorney beat up this 20-year-old young man who was a special educational instructional assistant who's doing good work in the world and a state chairman of the League of the South. This Harold Cruz was, a, was, was an attorney, well, excuse me, is an attorney 
and is the state chairman of the League of the South. So the acquittal is a relief for Harris, who was viciously, viciously beaten inside of a parking garage next to the city's police department. 17. He suffered a spinal injury and head lacerations that required 10 stitches. Two months later, his legal path took an unexpected turn when Cruz filed the police report and then persuaded the Charlottesville magistrate to issue an arrest warrant in October on a felony charge of unlawful wounding, which carries a five-year minimum sentence. The devil goes in, and that's why you got to stand strong. So blessings and grace to DeAndre Harris and blessings on his body and his spine and hopefully he can have a full recovery in Yeshua's name. And on Gizmodo.com, um, Uber self-driving car struck and killed an Arizona woman while in autonomous mode. Last night, a woman was struck by an by a autonomous Uber vehicle in Tempe, Arizona. She later died of her injuries in the hospital. The deadly collision reported by ABC 15 and later confirmed by Gizmodo by Uber and Tempe police took place around 10 p.m. at the intersection of Mill Avenue and Curry Road, both of which are multi-lane roads. Autonomous vehicle developers drive at night during storms and other challenging conditions to help their vehicles learn to navigate in a variety of environments. According to Tempe Police Department, the court the car, later clarified as gray 2017 Volvo XC90, was in autonomous mode at the time of the incident, with the vehicle operator sitting behind the wheel. So there was a person behind the wheel, but the car was in autonomous mode. The self-driving vehicle had one operator and no passengers, Uber said. Police have identified the victim as 49-year-old Elaine Hertzberg. She was crossing the, crossing the street at the time she was struck. The Tempe community grieves for her and for the loss being felt by her family and friends. Tempe Mayor Mark Mitchell said the city of Tempe has been supportive of autonomous vehicle testing because of the innovation and the promise technology may, technology may offer in many areas, including transportation, options for disabled residents and seniors. Testing must occur safely. All indications we have had in the past show that traffic laws are being obeyed by the companies testing here. The Uber crash is the first known fatal collision between a self-driving car and a pedestrian. A driver was killed in 2016 when his Tesla crashed into a truck while in autopilot mode, the first known fatal crash involving a semi-autonomous vehicle. An investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board found that the driver was warned several times to keep his hand on the wheel before the Tesla crash. The NTSB confirmed to Gizmodo that it is investigating Uber's crash in Arizona. The investigation will address the vehicle's interaction with the environment, other vehicles, and vulnerable road users, such as pedestrians and bicyclists. And so this is terrible. In a world full of autonomous cars, one has to really be awake and aware, especially when crossing the streets. And so on Blavity.com, a D.C. council member apologizes for anti-Semitic remarks, suggesting that the Rothschilds control the weather closely with the Jewish community and never want to offend anyone, especially with anti-Semitic remarks. And this is um, Washington, D.C. council member Trayon White Jr., an African-American, issued an apology for comments he made in a video Friday 
alluding to conspiracy theory that the Rothschilds, a wealthy Jewish banking family, controlled the weather. White apologized for his anti-Semitic remarks on social media Sunday night. On Friday, White reportedly uploaded a now-deleted video on his official Facebook page in which he referenced the Rothschilds and the snowy weather conditions in the nation's capital, CNN reported. Man, it just started snowing out of nowhere this morning, man, he said in the video, according to CNN. Y'all better pay attention to this climate control, man, this climate manipulation, and D.C. keep talking about we are a resilient city, and that's a model based off the Rothschilds controlling the climate to create natural disasters they can pay for to own the cities, man. Be careful. White later uploaded a statement apologizing for his comments on both Instagram and Facebook following public backlash. I really do apologize, he wrote on Twitter. I work very closely with the Jewish community and never want to offend anyone, especially with anti-Semitic reports. Remarks. In his apology letter, White noted that since that he had since been in communication with the Jews United for Justice, a grassroots community organization based in Washington area focused on pursuing justice and equality in local communities. The organization's official Twitter account tweeted that it will look forward to working with White toward deeper understanding of anti-Semitism toward our collective liberation. Now, how is talking about the Rothschilds, one particular group, family, that own a majority of things in this world, anti-Semitic? I don't understand how those two go together. But this man apologized for stating what he felt at the moment. And on Blavity.com, a former Google recruiter sues YouTube and claims that he was not that he was told not to hire white and Asian men. Ann Wilberg also said a coworker complained that managers were speaking about blacks as if they were objects. About two months ago, former Google engineer James Damore made headlines after filing a lawsuit against the huge tech company for allegedly discriminating against white male conservatives. Now a similar suit has been filed, this time by a YouTube recruiter, according to Biz Journal. Arn Wil- Wilberg is suing Google's sister company, claiming that he was explicitly told not to hire white and Asian men. The suit alleges Wilberg's team was instructed to purge entirely any applications by non-diverse, empo- non-diverse employees from the hiring pipeline. So on the other side of that information, Google's looking to hire minorities for those that have, you know, qualifiable skills. Wilbur claims that his manager sent the team an email that stated, please continue with L3 candidates and process only accept new L3 candidates that are from historically underrepresented groups. Only process candidates that are from historically underrepresented groups. Wilberg, who recruited engineers for Google and YouTube's parent company, Alphabet, said he was fired after he made a complaint to upper management about the discriminatory hiring practice. He alleges that other colleagues who complained were either disregarded, transferred, or demoted. According to Wilberg, executives were also tone deaf when it came to interacting with, with recruiters of color. He claims one coworker complained that managers were speaking about blacks like they were objects. During conversations about an initiative called Project Mirror, which was a program where recruiters interviewed potential hires of the same race or gender. To help, improve, to help prove his allegations, 
Bloomberg included a screenshot of a Google's tracking system, which was subsequently deleted, that kept track of candidates' gender and race, pointing out that the company had not reached their goals in hiring females, blacks, and Latin candidates. Alphabet has refuted Wilberg's claims. So for those that do have qualifiable skills and are from historically underrepresented um, groups and classifications, put in your resume. <laughs> We're going to take a music moment and come back with technology. Blessings and grace. À vous, tous les citoyens du monde, la cohabitation, elle n'est pas facile actuellement. Et pourtant, c'est ce qu'il nous faut. Cette cohabitation, cette acceptation d'autrui, cette acceptation de la différence, cette acceptation de l'être humain en général. Alors, il n'y a qu'un seul pas à faire. Accepte l'autre. C'est tout.
searching for her life practice and go ahead and try to tell me we living in two different worlds, my uh, it's time for you to see that this is democracy. If the rich are getting richer, for how poor we gonna be? Oh, how dumb we gonna be? Freedom is the land of thee. Under your breath for free, my uh. This people are under a room of G. No living, no eyes for watching God. I ain't woke, my G. Honest, and I ordered the reward and we sought, my G. Honest, listen to our hearts and change what they written on it. Mama said, use your head, girl, you stuck up in the clouds. Well, I think we flying high, cause we stuck up in the clouds. We no longer in this world. Analytica and so many others 
are taking place right now. And um, the world's biggest social network is at the center of international scandal, international scandal involving voter data and the 2016 U.S. presidential election and Brexit. Consultants working for Donald Trump's presidential campaign exploited the personal Facebook data of millions. That's the key message in the March, 20, March 17th story by the New York Times and the U.K.'s Guardian and Observer newspapers as well as in statements from Facebook. The stories and statements indicate the social networking giant was duped by researchers who reportedly gained access to the data of more than 50 million Facebook users, which was then misused for political ads during the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Until now, most of you have heard about Facebook and the 2016 election has been focused on meddling by Russian operatives. Those efforts are being investigated by the FBI and the U.S. Senate. Data consultancy Cambridge Analytica represents a different problem. The U.K.-based company reportedly acquired data about millions, millions of Facebook users in a way that violated the social network's policies, and it then tapped that information to build psychographic profiles of users and their friends which were utilized for targeted political ads in the UK's Brexit referendum campaign, as well as by Trump's team during the 2016 U.S. election. Facebook says it told Cambridge Analytica to delete the data, but also that report suggests that the info wasn't destroyed. Cambridge Analytica says it complies with the social network's rules, only receives data obtained legally and fairly, and did wipe out the data Facebook is worried about. Here's what you need to know. Cambridge Analytica is a U.K.-based data analytics firm whose parent company is Strategic Communication Laboratories. So Strategic Communication Laboratories is the parent company. Cambridge Analytica helps political campaigns reach potential voters online. The firm combines data from multiple sources, including online information and polling, to build profiles of voters. And then the company uses computer programs to predict voter behavior, which then could be influenced through specialized advertisements aimed at those particular voters. So Cambridge Analytica isn't working with a small amount of users either. The company says it has 5,000 data points, that's specific points, 5,000, on over 230 million American voters, or pretty much all of us, considering that we are estimated 250 million people of the voting age in the U.S. The company has since faced criticism from what executives call, um, including CEO Alexander Nix, said in a series of undercover videos shot by UK's Channel 4 and videos, he discussed lies and seeming blackmail he performed as a part of his efforts to sway elections. We have lots of history of things, Nix said in the videos. I'm just giving you examples of what can be done and what has been done. Nix has been since suspended from his job as CEO. His comments do not represent the values of our operations of the firm, and his suspension reflects the seriousness of which we view this violation, the company said in a statement. So what did Cambridge Analytica do? Um, Facebook said in a statement late on Friday, March 16th, that Cambridge Analytica received users' data from Alexandra Kogan, a lecturer at the University of Cambridge, and Kogan reportedly created an app called This Is Your Digital Life, that, often, that um, offered personal predictions to users while calling itself a research tool for psychologists. 
the app asks users to log in using their Facebook account. I never log into stuff on my Facebook account. I just don't trust everything being connected. I mean, it it it, it probably is at some point, but they're going to have to go through some extra effort, you know? And so as part of the login process, it's asked for users' access to their Facebook profiles, locations, what they like on the surface, and importantly, their friends' data as well. The problem, Facebook says, is that Kogan then sent this user data to Cambridge Analytica without user permission, something that's against the social network's rules. So this then led to the understanding of how they were able to psych the minds of millions and to let in this trumpet be blown, and we're living through the noise of it right now. And so moving forward on MSN.com, IBN unveils the world's smallest computer. The latest piece of technology to be zapped by the shrink ray of progress was recently revealed during IBM Think 2018, the computer's giant conference preview of its latest hardware. According to Mashable, IBM's newest computer is so small, it's so small that it could disappear inside of a salt shaker. It can disappear inside of a salt shaker. That tiny black speck on the right, that's the one. It's mounted to a motherboard. I mean, you know, IBM claims that the computer has several thousand transistors and has roughly the same kind of operating power as a processor from the 1990s. While this may not sound impressive, any kind of artificial intelligence and a product that small can have big implications for data management. IBM believes it has the future uh, it has the future in blockchain applications. IBM believes that this computer that can get lost in a salt shaker has the future of blockchain applications which track shipments, theft, and noncompliance. Noncompliance with what? Its tiny stature means it can be embedded into materials discreetly. As an example, IBM noted that, the process, that, that this processor could be injected into a non-toxic magnetic ink, which, which can then be stamped on a prescription drug. One drop of water could make, the invis- could make the ink visible, letting someone know that it's authentic and safe to take. The tiny little motherboard and its processors are still in the prototype stages, but IBM predicts it could cost less than 10 cents to manufacture, and the company hopes that it will be commercially available in the next 18 months. The next 18 months, commercially available. This little black speck that is a motherboard computer. And on DefenseOne.com, the U.S. military, I found this very interesting. The U.S. military is making lasers that create voices out of thin air. Why are they doing this? Within three years, I mean, they, they, they are creating lasers. This is on DefenseOne.com. Anyone that wants to read it, DefenseOne, the word one, dot com. The U.S. military is making lasers that create voices out of thin air. Within three years, the Pentagon's non-lethal weapons lab hopes to have a direct energy weapon that can produce an effect like a haunted walkie-talkie or a biblical burning bush. They have a video, and you can listen carefully for what sounds like a human voice, okay, during the second spin. That's not an audio recording or broadcast transmitted over radio. It's not a human at all. It's an auditory effect that's created by military scientists who manipulated the air with lasers. 
and it's the Pentagon's most interesting idea for stopping people charging checkpoints or or just scaring the crap out of them. The U.S. military's joint non-lethal weapons program, the JNLWD, is inching closer to a weapon that alters atoms to literally create words from thin air. It's called laser-induced plasma effect, and fingers crossed they hope to be able to say intelligible words in the next three years. The weapon is comprised of two parts, first a FETO second laser, which shoots a burst of focused light for 10 to 15 seconds just long enough to rip the electrons from air molecules and create a ball of plasma, sometimes called the fourth, the, the fourth state of matter, plasma fields. Plasma is a field of electric gas, highly responsive to electromagnetic effects. The scientists then hit the plasma field with the second nanolaser turned to an extremely narrow range of wavelength. They use that to manipulate the plasma field in a way that can produce light and noise. Get the interaction precise enough, and you get something that sounds like a haunted walkie-talkie. We're this close to getting it to speak to us. Wow. I need three or four more kilohertz, says David Law, who runs JNLWD's technology division. Ultimately, he wants a single system that can produce multiple effects, noise, light, and even heat. They are they 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 are trying to invade the fourth and fifth and sixth dimension over Stan. They want to produce noise, light, and heat, and replace a wide variety of non-lethal weapons that the military has been testing. Wow, the weapon's most entering aspect may be the way it creates noise at a specific and distant point in space rather than blasting it out of a nearby speaker. That means the soldiers between the weapon and the target are unaffected. How far away can that point be? Range is a function of optics. The bigger the mirrors, the farther the range, Law said. A five-inch mirror creates the effect about one kilometer away, an eight-inch mirror about five kilometers, he said. They've created plasma at 20 or 30 kilometers. This is the first non-lethal weapon that can go out tens of kilometers. The Kerr effect, a term that refers to minute changes in a refractive index as a result of an electromagnetic field change, makes it actually easier to create the effect at a distance. One of the things about the ultra-short pulse, it wants to form at longer ranges. It's harder to form at shorter ranges, said Law. So they want to send it long ranges, these voices, creating voices out of thin air and using it as a weapon. Overstand. And so on that note, we're going to take a music moment and come back with Herbnology. Blessings and grace. This is a Put them up now Open up your eyes and see The truth will set you free Embrace your identity The truth will set you free Things that we just can't change what is happening. 
And in reality, we see beer by my fling. Me only refuge are the king of kings. It's not a lie, one mother cry, the other night, another life, lost in this mess. It's not a lie, one mother cry, the other night, another life, lost in this mess. Open up your eyes and see. The truth will set you free. Embrace your identity. The truth will set you free. Innocent die. We could change the world if we try. In the blink of an eye, so many innocent die. We got to change it. Yes, we can do it. If we put our hearts and minds to it, we can rearrange it. So let's do it. And I know the righteous up to it. Open up your eyes and see. The truth will set you free. Embrace your identity. The truth will set you free. Reality is what you make it. 
Blessings and grace, and I'm back with Herbnology. And I'm going to focus tonight on the benefits of chicory. Chicory is a woody, herbaceous plant that has a wealth of health benefits. This includes its ability to ease digestive problems, prevent heartburn, reduce arthritis pain, detoxify the liver and gallbladder, prevent bacterial infections, boost the immune system, and reduce the chances of heart disease. It's also a natural sedative that can fight against kidney stones and promote weight loss. All in all, this small plant is a powerful addition to any diet. Chicory grows well in many different conditions, and it's commonly found on the roadsides in Europe where it originated, but it has now naturalized into the Americas and can be found widely here. The leaves, buds, and roots all have certain beneficial qualities, the leaves are used in similar ways as spinach in many cultures. The root is often ground into a powder and is used as a coffee substitute. It has been used for hundreds of years as an herbal remedy for many diseases and continues its proof to worth today. In terms of nutritional value, chicory is a great source of vitamins and minerals, including zinc, magnesium, manganese, calcium, iron, folic acid, and potassium, as well as vitamin A, B6, C, E, and K. These are the main agents behind all of the health benefits that come from chicory. Okay, so it aids in digestion. It reduces heart disease. It prevents cancer. It reduces arthritis pain. It's helpful in weight loss. You know, um, it has natural dietary fiber. It treats constipation because of this um, component. And it also boosts immunity. You know, for those that have um, lupus or MS or fibromyalgia, you know, any of these autoimmune diseases, thyroid problems, 
you know, you have a lower immunity, and it reduces anxiety. It soothes the mind thereby by relieving stress and, and the effects that stress can have on the body. And it helps to, to, to treat kidney disorders. Chicory root extract is often used as a diuretic, which increases urine volume, and frequent urination can help eliminate toxins that the body stores in the liver and kidneys, and thereby prevent dangerous conditions that occur when toxins are allowed to remain in the body. Okay, so, you know, check out chicory and um, add it as a part of your food. Like I said, it can be used like spinach, the leaves, the root, you know, um, do your own research and see how you can fit this into your life. You know, and utilize the nature of the Most High for all it's worth in Yeshua's name. We're going to take a music moment and come back with the metaphysics of the moment.
think I'm stuck in silence in my mind. It's pretty violent in my mind. I've been fighting for my purpose. I've been trying to get it right. Oh, how complex you talking about the knowledge and the mind. When the booty and the images where all your money is art, you can be priceless. I understand we're living in a dream. I should be unplugged and untouched and unpaused and unrushed. You living like you have nothing to die for. Martin, your life is really what you have recycled in your head. I bet it's pretty crowded, so I pick up meditation, elevation, spiritual medication, education's not suppressed unless it's stressed. In a four-corner building in your eight o'clock class, this is a test as we fight for death, stress, over death, creeps by to say we're too young for that. Cause girl, you're too young for that. High school and bites is the knowledge that was gained when I got out. Cause you really couldn't teach me what your booty was about. What your booty is about, though, is blasted on the 24. You need to be fake to make the life that you were looking for. You're talented. Well, you live the life you built, then I spend the next year on tour with Lauren Hill.
It is time you open up that metaphysical grave that has been dug for you, the part of you, the spark that lays buried. That is what's going to open you up. That's what's going to give you the ability to escape. Escape your metaphysical mind. 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 Blessings and grace, and welcome to the metaphysics of the moment. So I'm going to turn to the metaphysical Bible dictionary and to the meaning of ego, the I. The ego is man, and by reason of his divinity, he makes and remakes as he wills. He makes and remakes as he wills. And this lie, his greatest strength, and his greatest weakness. The ego of itself is possessed of nothing. It is a mere ignorant child of innocence floating in the mind of being. But through the door of its consciousness must pass all the treasures of God. Now the adverse metaphysical meaning of ego is when the ego attaches itself to consciousness, it builds the antichrist man who has no basis in reality. This is known as the adverse ego. It is the adverse ego that causes all the trouble in the world. It's the selfishness as opposed to rational selfishness. There is rational selfishness where it's important to stand up for yourself, believe in yourself. And then there's irrational selfishness, which inhabits greed and make men grovel in the mire of materiality when they might soar in the heavens of spirituality. And the spiritual ego, the true self, an individualized center of God consciousness, which is embedded in the soul. I am conscious identity. Consciously identifying with the I am in you and claiming the sovereignty and the Godfidence in that and the metaphysical meaning of mind by the term mind we mean God the universal principle which includes all principles as an aid in understanding how the universal mind creates we can observe the actions of our own mind because we are the offspring of the one mind and we bring forth in like manner the son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the father doing. For what things soever he doeth, these the son also doeth in like manner. John 5.19 Man in the consciousness of the one mind has no sense of apartness. Through affirmation, he can attune himself to being. Through affirmation, he can attune himself to being transmute his thoughts into ideas, and accomplish the seemingly impossible. The mind, the starting point of every act and thought and feeling, the common meeting ground of God and man. God is mine. And we cannot describe the most high with human language. We cannot describe the mind. We can only say, I am mine. I know God is mine. He knows. The mind is a great is 
the great seat of perception of the things we see, hear, and feel. It is through the mind that we see the beauties of the earth and sky, of music and of art, in fact, of everything. That silent shuttle of thought working in and out through cell and nerve weaves into one harmonious whole, the myriad moods of mind, and we call it life. The affirmative state of mind, a binding, holding process. If man affirms his unity with the life substance and intelligence of God, he lays hold to these spiritual qualities. Carnal mind, misuse of mind powers, arising from ignorance of the relationship between the Most High and man, a state of consciousness formed about a false ego, a false concept of man. All the works of the flesh, Galatians 5.19, are the product of a carnal mind. And a change of mind is the very first requisite of the new life in Yeshua. We go into this new and higher state of consciousness as we would go into another country. The kingdom of heaven is right here in our midst, and it will become tangible reality to us when we have developed the faculties necessary to comprehend it and manifest it. State of mind is a combination of thoughts and consciousness that is hard to change. Ideas that have been crystallized. An immortal mind, error consciousness, an unregenerate man, or man composed of ungodlike thoughts. It is the opposite of the Christ mind, which is the perfect mind of God in man. Mortal man, mortal mind gathers its information through the senses. It judges by appearances, which are often false judgments. Man must renounce the false state of mind if he is to be one with the Most High. Mortal mind brings sin, poverty, sickness, and death for life and abundance wherever you go. Train your mind's eye to see the possibilities wherever you stand. Okay? And the mind of the flesh, Romans 8, 7, mixed thoughts, selfishness, fear, and the like, these thoughts are what we find in persons of Gentile consciousness. And in the regeneration, they must be eliminated. That's the stuff that has to be let go. The sum of all man's past thinking, also his memory. The subconscious mind sometimes acts as though separate from the conscious mind. For instance, in dreams, the subconscious mind has no power to do original thinking. It can only act upon what is given to it through the conscious or through the superconscious mind. And the three phases of mind, conscious mind, subconscious mind, and superconscious mind, called the Lord. The superconscious mind transcends both the conscious and subconscious phases of mind. The harmonious working together of these three seemingly separate minds is necessary to bring forth the latent possibilities of man. They have to work together to bring forth all the possibilities. And temple, the meaning of temple, metaphysically, 
house of Jehovah. Solomon's temple is a symbol of the regeneration of the regenerated body of man, which when it attains it, he will never again leave. This enduring temple is built in the understanding of spirit as the one and only cause of all things. Lead by your soul. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and in 2 Corinthians 6.16, we learn that man's body is the temple or house of God. History says that for magnificent splendor, the cost and cost Solomon's temple has never been equaled. It occupied three-fourths of a square mile and cost a billion dollars, yet no vestige of it remains. Several temples have since been built on the spot where it stood. So we see that the enduring temple that the man is to build is not the outer temple, but the body temple of Jesus Christ. When Yeshua came teaching that the body is a temple, he brought to man the revelation of the enduring temple. We as a race are educated through symbols. The temple of Solomon and the tabernacle that precedes it were the object lessons, symbols of the true tabernacle of the most high pitched, but not man of the temple, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The heavens represent the consciousness of the idea in each of us. is a permanent abiding place for the ego. The ego must be clothed upon, must be clothed. Man is a series of conscious projections from center, ego, to circumference, body. This clothing is made of thoughts, thoughts told by physiologists that the whole organism is built cell by cell and destroyed cell by cell. The buildup of a house uses bricks and mortar. And to do this, we have a correspondence in bodybuilding and in character building. There must be pigeonholes where all the different thoughts, feelings, and memories can be filed away, that they may be found readily when wanted. This is the object of the divine body temple, and it's a wonderful structure. It is only not substance but life, intelligence, power. It is fitted to express divine mind perfectly. Perfectly. All that you need is all that you are. All that preceded Yeshua was transitory. He came as the enduring man, and his body was a temple of the living God because he made it alive. He said, follow me. Ye who have followed me in the regeneration In its courts, furnishings, and observances, the Temple of Solomon represents regeneration. It shows the various steps through which man passes in order to come to completeness and universal mind, where he is indeed a temple of the living God. We are temples of the living God. And tree, the metaphysical meaning of trees, trees represent nerves, and nerves are expression of thought. Of unity. They connect thought centers. In Ezekiel 47.7, the trees growing on both sides of the river represent the nerves radiating spinal column and connecting and unifying the whole organism through the nerve fluid. 
The trees in, Gen- in Genesis 2-9 signifies the connecting link between earth and heaven, between body and mind, the formless and the formed. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight pertains to the perspective faculty of mind. It is always pleasant to perceive truth. The substance of spiritual thought is the food that is good. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden represents the absolute life principle established in man's consciousness by divine mind. The roots of the tree of life are centered in the solar plex region, and they are symbolized by the physical organism by the nerve, the generative center, and the loins of man is the point at which the physical man contacts life. But when the consciousness has been redeemed and man has placed himself in the garden through I am, Jehovah God, he connects, contacts the tree of life at the solar plexus region or heart center. And from his center exercises authority and dominion over the whole current of life in the organism. The tree of knowledge of good and evil represents the discerning capacity of mind. Man first perceives truth, then he must discern the relation of ideas before perfect activity is set up within him. Okay? Man first perceives truth, then he must discern the relation of ideas before perfect activity. Before perfect activity is set up within him. And then he can use his tools over sand. Or she can use her tools to go forward. To go forward. So God told Adam to avoid the tree whose fruit was was a knowledge of good and excess, of good and evil. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. It is evident that this tree is closely related to individual free will, which is in direct touch with the serpent or selfhood. In that state of consciousness or day, the individual shall surely die. The branch that separates itself from the tree withers away and dies. So a belief by the ego that its life, substance, and intelligence are derived cut the source of supply. And the ego begins to revolve in a mental vortex whose dominant tones are good and evil, birth and death, duality. It is through the affection, the feminine, that we partake both good and evil. The soul or the woman was given to man by Jehovah God and is the avenue through which the inspiration of spirit comes. When the I am assumes mastery over the soul, it brings forth only good. If man could lay hold of the tree of life while thinking both good and evil to be real, he would go on living in the negative part of his being and would be bringing destruction upon himself. Man lost consciousness of his divine nature and spirit and so must begin to hold of the potential ideas and substance and must till the ground, must till the ground from whence he was taken. The spiritual life is protected from the course of consciousness by the flame of sword which turns every way or the word of God and the cherubim's sacred wisdom. Man can regain entrance into Eden only by being born anew of spirit. Hmm. 
the tree of life bearing 12 manna of fruits, yielding its fruits every month. Revelation 22.2. And read Revelation 22.2. The tree of life is the inherent life of an organism. It is symbolized in the physical by the way, the nerves of the spinal column. The spinal column represents the tree. The nerves which carry the living waters are the branches and the leaves of the tree. Every month, the transmutation of the living waters takes place under divine order. Thus, the 12 manna of fruits produced by the tree of life in the midst of the garden. The spiritualized body. Man is kept from partaking of this precious healing, life-giving fruit, only by thoughts of sensuality and materiality. When this phase of sense consciousness is taken up in truth and eliminated, an idea of purity is built in. Man's body begins to express its original holiness and perfection of the fruit of the tree of life when we appropriate ideas of divine life, ceasing to dwell on life as something that comes and goes, or something that is governed by birth and death. We're going to take a music moment as we understand our purpose and our theme that's put forth by the Most High and embedded and to seek within because there's nothing without the Most High involved. And then grace won't be something that happens by chance, but, but, but something that you live in and breathe in. Overstand. Blessings and grace. There's a place I know you can go. The door is always open wide. Slow hold up your heavy load. See you this way, beyond the sky. The windows there are very clear. Revealing the light that will redeem you. Door, the key is your intention. Your intention. 
Blessings and grace. And thank you for joining me again for an offering of Women Wednesday. That was just Georgia Ann Muldrow, The Key, followed by Sun Ra Godspell, Steve Paradise, Zoltan, Sampa the Great, Dutch Spring, Sister Awa, Be the Difference, Sampa the Great Class Trip, Kita, Mad World, Claire Angel, Natellum Your Secret, Sampa the Great Blues Boss, Bodhisattva featuring Les Nubians, and the remix as well as the original, Beautiful Humans, Black Omolo, More Truth and Rights, Zaki Ibrahim, Live Better, Sampa the Great Revolution, Dr. Jewel Polkram, Activating the Immortal Gene, Thinking Highly of Oneself, Sister Mary, Can't Fool I, Emily King, All I Can Become, The Whitefields Featuring Bajaka, Earthology, Sarah, 13th Planet Remix, and John 9, Prosper, Blessings and Grace to the Source of the Frequency that Accompanies Me, that is that music that I just mentioned, Support, and until next podcast, live in strength and grace and love. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome on Congas, Mr. Mongo Santa Maria. <laughs> <laughs>